Welcome to the Untitled Themed Entertainment Design Lockdown Show. Po- it's not the lockdown show anymore. There's no it's more not, lockdown. No. Unless you're in Shanghai, then maybe so. It is November 1st. We just had a great discussion with the team from Hollywood and Vamp, Nate and Allison. Really great experience, right, Andy? I loved it. It was so great. And we got into like the nitty-gritty of uh, you know, producing immersive experiences and and all, all that kind of stuff that I love. And and uh, it was really great and informative. And I, we hope that you feel the same. Yeah, enjoy the show, everyone. Remember, check you can check it out on YouTube. There was some footage that we played and some slides. But either way, I think you're going to enjoy this discussion. So without further ado, enjoy the next show of the Untitled Entertainment Design Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 60 of the Entitled Theme Entertainment Design Show, where it is still Halloween for one more day. That is true. Happy Halloween, Andy. We made it. It is officially November 1st, and we are going to bring Halloween an official send-off with a great uh, show today. But first, uh, before we go into Hollywood and Vamp, uh, how was your Halloween? What'd you do? How was your Halloween weekend? I, I spent Saturday and Sunday at a friend's house, Keith Kaminsky. He was on the show last year uh, talking about uh, his huge home haunts that he does. And uh, he had a sort of Hollywood or uh, Halloween open house on Saturday. And it was so good. We decided to go back last night. So we just did that. It was fun. Well, awesome. Yeah, well, it's a huge. Uh, he has a big front yard uh, right in the equestrian district of Burbank. And uh, he built several rooms that have a bar. And then there was a maze that you would, when you would get your drink at the bar, you would open up the side wall and you would go through this little maze, uh, haunted attraction essentially in his front yard. It was pretty incredible just for the party guests. Wow. That just yeah. for the party. Wow. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there you go. What and, a- uh, on, on Saturday, uh, Nathan, my, my friend and I dressed up as, uh, Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise, uh, from Cannonball Run with screen accurate costumes. Nice. I'll, nice. I'll, I'll give you one guess which one I was. I'd say Dom Louise. <laughs> uh, sorry, I don't have a picture, CJ. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, looks like the Nate was in the Nate was at that party too. And so, oh, you, really? Uh, okay. So I guess you're a pretty noticeable guy. Uh, and so I guess so. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, just to, I'm, I really, I'm really excited to get to our guests and, and learn more about this show and talk about it and and uh, everything. But like, there's a couple of news items. I mean, you know, uh, I I was just saw that uh, Magic Kingdom in Florida switched to Christmas overnight, which I think is is great. I think that you know, I remember when Disneyland used to do that and it was totally magical. But you guys got that this year. Yeah, so Christmas is officially here. Yeah, uh, you know they kind of they start the process a little early, so you see there is a little bit of an overlap that happens a few weeks, and I think they they stopped doing the big crystals uh, mm. or the icicles that used to be on top of the castle. That was the whole thing they did for many, many, many years, and that's gone. Yeah. Now it's all projection, so that's another interesting adjustment too. Yeah, for that, and then of course, yeah. you know, go ahead. No, go ahead. 
and then Disneyland Shanghai closed. Yeah. So on Saturday, we're there. On on Saturday, uh, there had a contract contact tracing test of a single guest that had tested positive for, for COVID on Saturday. So on Sunday night, they shut, they closed the park with thirty four thousand people in it. Uh, and tested every single person on their way out. So it doesn't say how long that took. I'm, I'm guessing it must have taken hours and hours. Uh, but people were just sort of stuck in the park and had to get tested uh, on their way out of the park. And no one tested positive, apparently. But they, uh, the park remains closed, uh, and they don't. They haven't said that we're gonna when they're gonna reopen. But just like only in China can you close a theme park with all the guests still in it and not let them out until they got tested for COVID. Can you imagine if they yeah. did that, like at the magic kingdom, like all the, the, the MAGA people's, their heads would just explode like yeah, scanner we're, style. We're in a little bit of a different environment here. In <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't even have contact well, tracing. So basically. Yeah. Uh, so yeah well, I mean, in China, everybody has the app on their phone. You can't go, you can't even get into the park without scanning your, your app. Yeah. So that's how it works. And and it works. Clearly it worked. Yeah. So. Well, kind of, kind of related, you know, Florida is now doing the best in the nation for COVID cases out of nowhere. Well, it's been wow. a steady I think because every, everyone's had it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I not had COVID up to this point, but uh, so that's also good news. So you usually don't hear about Florida unless it's uh, talking about how terrible it is. But hey, we're doing all right. Finally, I don't give credit to anyone. I, I just stopped trying to figure out how COVID spread. Um, yeah, a long time ago, but uh, yeah, so that's positive news. And uh, with that, you know, we have uh, a lot of returning entertainment, uh, but sometimes not, you know, depending on where you are, whether it's you know, LA or Orlando, the, the things can vary quite a bit, and uh, that kind of is that relates to what happened uh, with the uh, Hollywood and Vamp, which is a it's just a whole cool show. That why don't we why don't we start to talk about that? Let's invite Nate and Allison on and talk about it. absolutely. Welcome. Welcome to the show, you guys. And I just saw in the private chat that you guys were at the party on Saturday. <laughs> I was there Saturday, yeah. Okay. Uh, Rick the Rick is was the publicist on Hollywood and Vamp, and he invited okay. us out, so I popped through for a little while on Saturday. It was remarkable, wasn't it? Yeah, it's phenomenal. It was a lot of fun. I love that the, the, the maze entrances through the bars. Like That's always the type of things that I love. I'm like, yeah, secret entrance in a bar, done. It's a speakeasy <laughs> maze in a real bar, which is fantastic. Right, in someone's <laughs> front yard. Yeah, even better. It, it's incredible. Yeah, uh, Keith is in, exceptionally talented. He brought a really great team together this year to make, make that incredible stuff for his guests and friends. It's amazing. So yeah, why don't we dive in a little bit and just talk about the two of you? So what you know, what is your, uh, you know, what's your origin story? What makes you you? And then we can kind of dive into Hollywood and Vamp a little bit. Sounds good. Um, I've worked in themed entertainment for a real long time, about twenty-ish years. Um, theater kid at heart, proud theater nerd forever. Love live experiences. And so uh, last year during the pandemic, we decided to start this company, 8820. Um, and Nate will tell you more about himself as a bit of a film guy. So we decided to use the film and the live theater and merge them together into this crazy uh, live entertainment company that um, does some really interesting, new and different things. Yeah, um, do elaborate on that. So I came from a film and television world and kind of knowing that and loving live entertainment for different things and having a lot of experience live entertainment working uh, theme parks the last few years. 
I kind of was like realizing, oh, there's this weird kind of grayer between what is video media and live media that I think nobody really knows how to do both well. And we started our company kind of saying, I think that's a niche we can grow into and be effective at. And our first show we did last year was called Corn Scream Live. And it was totally uh, like an at-home experience you could have online where it was all done via Zoom. Um, but it had like live, like pre-recorded, like full on movie sequences and then live interactive audience experiences simultaneously. So it was a mix of like live theater all done virtually. Uh, and then this year we did our new show, Hollywood and Vamp, which was entirely a live show, uh, immersive theater experience that turned into a full on musical rock show at the end of it. So we kind of like finding making ways to make media that don't fit in the traditional boxes. And that's what we want to keep doing more of. And so far, our first two shows are very, very different, but both don't fit into kind of the standard boxes of what you usually put entertainment into. Yeah. That's great. And so, you know, can you talk a little bit about the lead it into what started this entire, this new show and how you kind of, kind of pulled together? Sure. Do you want to? Okay. Um, so we did the show at the bourbon room and that was actually really the genesis of it was the bourbon room itself. Uh, we did a walkthrough of it months ago and got to like see it. And for some reason, the second I walked into it, I was like, this is an awesome like 80s rock bar. Like it's built around the Rock of Ages show, built to look like the, the, the bourbon room, which is very much like a whiskey a go-go type venue that was fictional for, this, for the musical. And the way they did it, just I, I saw vampires in it for some reason. And then we were talking with them. It eventually came up the opportunity to say, hey, do you guys want to do something here? And we're like, I'm... And I just said, I want to put vampires in your bar. And they said, great. And I said, okay, I'll start working on that. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of grew from like that just very broad idea to like knowing, okay, we have this 80s grunge. I always feel like the sun's trip in the 80s. Like everybody's out partying all night. People are doing crazy stuff. You would believe that vampires would just exist in that world and not be caught because they could just blend into the just debauchery and craziness. And people are doing crazier, stupider things all over the strip that you would think, oh yeah, vampires could have totally just been hanging out there kind of like in the same vein that they are in New Orleans and those stories are told that way. The 80s Sunset Strip had that same vibe. So I kind of just built the world out where that was what it was. And we just kind of kept going from there and made a whole rock show with vampires all partying, talking about their experiences with different bands from the era. And It started just as an immersive experience, like using the bar and the theater in a in a non-traditional immersive sense where you marry the one-on-one -on -one interactions with like a larger narrative that is more like a show um and i came home one day from work and nate's at the computer and all of a sudden he's like so these are the seven songs we added i was like oh you wrote a rock opera so now we're, this is we've taken this to a whole different level <laughs> like you've well, never done a theatrical production ever okay <laughs> Well, tell me about the the music uh, in the show. Is it are the songs original, and is it is it all original music? No, it was not original music. It was jukebox musical inspired. So it was rock of uh, the various decades. We had you know some Guns N' Roses. We had some Billy Squire. It was really about finding rock music that's lyrics helped perpetuate and move the story forward. So like the first song that you encounter when you're in the theater that's sung is "Welcome to the Jungle." And uh, the vampire tells the whole story about how, which is, you know, supposedly a true story about how a homeless guy talked to Axl Rose and he told him he was in the jungle. And that's, a, you know, the genesis of the song. And the vampire goes on to say, that wasn't a homeless guy. That was me. So it like tied in those little elements of basically rock vampires through the years and how they affected the music of that decade. 
Oh, that's really cool. That's really awesome. So why don't we dive in um, and we'll, let's watch a little bit of a, the tape recording. We have, uh, not tape, whatever it is, digital video <laughs> of this. Roll the tape. <laughs> Fire up the umatic. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll walk through the entire experience. We have, I know we have a nice slideshow. Take it away, CJ. <laughs> That looks so much fun. Yeah, it looks like a fun time. So, um, is it is it is the conceit? Is it vampires pretending to be humans pretending to be vampires? Kind of. So the idea <laughs> is, it's a vampire bar, not unlike um, like True Blood. Think of Merlot or like or Fantasia. They're allowing you to come into their bar. You're you are knowingly entering a vampire establishment. Okay. Um, you're just entering under the guise that you're going to be completely safe in said establishment, which surprise you're not. <laughs> so lots of non-consensual um, blood sucking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the, the, the idea is you're in that world where this has been a bar that's existed in this, in, in the Hollywood strip area since the eighties and kind of been living in, in their own niche of it. And they've decided now to open their doors to humans for the first time. Um, just to see if they prove that they can coexist. And obviously it's actually just a big ploy and trap to draw a bunch of humans in and, and have their fun with them. <laughs> That's great. Well, like why don't we, do. I know, uh, I know we have a little bit of a deck here. Why don't you walk us through the experience? Uh, CJ. Sure. sure. You can pull it up. I know it's coming. I can feel it. There it is. <laughs> Me too. All yeah, right. so what you saw mostly in the EPK, the, the video that you guys rolled earlier, was mostly the theater portion of it. But the venue is really cool because that's the theater portion in the back, but there's a whole bar in front. So that's you can see the band set up there in the, in the staged area in the back there. The theater is still completely equipped with what it was for Rock of Ages. So they have like state-of-the-art boards, state-of-the-art lighting, state-of-the-art sound system. So it was really fun to get to play with such amazing theatrical tools. Um, and we had stellar lighting design and uh, sound design guys, too, that really helped push it over the edge. Cool. And that was kind of a fun thing is usually when you do immersive theater things, you don't have like this great big theatrical finish to it. And we you spend an hour in this bar just being immersed in these characters, talking with them, getting the backstory. And then you get pulled into the, the theater area and suddenly it goes into a full like massive production scale change to not being one-on-one -on -one interactions but the whole crowd is now kind of being pulled into being one larger character and you're all kind of 
the the victims of circumstance as the story continues on. That's really cool. I didn't realize it was two separate spaces. Yeah. So that's oh. that photo's back at the bar area. So you can see the bar on the right there, and that's the record station, which is kind of right by the entrance to the theater area. It's a great place. It's gorgeous. Beautiful, yeah. Now what's going on here? <laughs> so this actually is just a feature they had by the bar and we gave it a backstory for our show because it's such a cool big focal point that kind of doesn't have any real reason for being there other than just as really cool and, and badass looking um but we decided to give that a backstory like everything we're doing we're trying to tie it back to history of hollywood our our queen theta the queen vampire of uh the sunset strip uh has been a, there for a hundred years. And she's actually the character named Theta Barra is an actress from the twenties that was in movies and um, was a, we decided she was known as a vampire at the time. So we decided to play that up as she's a real vampire and she's still young and beautiful and everything today. Um, but this, we made the coyote here. Actually, we, we said it was the last werewolf of Los Angeles and Queen Theta in when we had uh, the Black Dahlia killer, we basically said this vamp, this werewolf was the Black Dahlia killer and it transformed and then Theta captured it and killed it and left it as a kind of warning to any other werewolves that want to come back to Hollywood that she will track them down. So and, this, and put a Led Zeppelin shirt on it. And put a Led <laughs> yeah, just mock it. That's she's she's big badass and she's mocking the other ones because she's that much more powerful type thing. So it's kind of a fun tease and just a little detail that nobody knew what it was how did you telegraph i was going to say i was going to say how did you telegraph that to the audience we put a plaque on the bottom of it like you would see at like a museum that explains what it is got it <laughs> just got it. it right on there and yeah. uh, the, the different interactive vampires would gesture to it and have people go over and read it and talk about it a little bit and we just like loosely incorporated it in all the different storylines just for fun yeah. That's awesome. That's a great idea. Yeah. Cool. And I'll do some spooky photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just moody photos now. It's uh, one of our, our characters from it and everything, just sitting at the bar. Because that, that, that was kind of fun of us. You kind of walk in and you don't know who's a character and who's not. So he was one that you don't really know is a character uh, as much as everybody else because he looks like just a regular guest in there, which is kind of a fun audience plant mm. aspect of the show. Cool. Were there any One secret things, spaces or sorry, go ahead. No, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. Not necessarily secret spaces, but there were Easter eggs and secret things hidden throughout. So there is a payphone in the, uh, the theater. And if you pick it up and dial a number, you'll get like vampire cleanup or Hollywood forever <laughs> cemetery renting plots or like, you know, fun little Easter eggs like that. There is a, um, Jamie actually helped us build like a meat locker over in the corner that had media playing where if you walked over there and watched, you realize this is where the vampires are like dragging the humans and feeding on them. But you have to like look around and pay attention and kind of gather those story bits on your own. Um, one of my favorite things that we did was uh, we would get images of the guests that we knew were coming that night and create missing posters with their faces mm -hmm. on them to kind of allude to the fact that by the end of the night, they would indeed be missing and would no longer be there. So we would put those up different ones every night based on who the audience was. It was a super fun Easter egg for them and for us. That's very yeah. Derek Delgadio of you. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And then... Are there more pictures? 
Yes. I believe you got a bunch more. I don't remember everything I sent you guys. So yeah, yeah, well, we have room, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, these are just kind of all photos I took during rehearsals and, and show nights. So it's kind of little touches of moments that are happening. So this is part of one of our, our fun show moments that um, is basically Dodge, the, the male character there, is who you first meet when you walk into the venue for about half the audience. So I think that was kind of a fun thing we did actually was right at the get-go. We split the everybody up. So you were either taking the stairs or the elevator. And if you took the stairs you uh, would run into Dodge, who was a human character in our show who would sell his blood to vampires. He'd do drugs and then sell his blood to vampires because they can't get high off drugs. But if your blood has drugs in it, they can get high off that. So his character was constantly hassling guests because he's playing a drug addict strung out on Hollywood Boulevard, but also is aware of vampires and, and knows the backstory and will tell you which vampires will be dangerous, which ones are, are okay and and kind of gives you a narrative that into the world that's not from the vampire perspective, but from somebody who's aware of the vampires and not necessarily uh, enjoying the the ambiance the same way that the vampires are. He was such a good actor that nightly regular patrons would come up to one of us that looked like we worked there and tell us there was a homeless man on the stairs. <laughs> like, nightly. <laughs> <And we're> like, <laughs> well, did he tell you anything? Like, he's talking about vampires. He's trying to sell me something. <laughs> <laughs> but they truly believed that he was absolutely not part. It probably took until he wandered into the theater and then they watched him get his throat slit that that was when it was like, oh, okay, not just a crazy homeless guy from, <laughs> from Hollywood Boulevard. But I mean, it's Hollywood. You never know, right? That sounds successful. <laughs> yeah, and that, right? <laughs> and that was something we loved doing the show is a lot of things we're telling you a lot of information but not giving you context for it. So he's telling you a bunch and if you listen to him, the context comes later for everything he told you. But when he's telling you, he seems like he's just strung out and, and rambling things. But everything he's saying actually comes to comes to become true later on. So oh, it's fun. kind of a fun one. People that are willing to tolerate his antics in the stairs can learn a ton. And people that aren't just are immediately kind of put in, in an uncomfortable element, which is what we wanted. We want you to feel like you're in a scary space where anybody approaching you could be kind of threatening in their own way. And he's threatening in a very different way than everybody else is. Wow. That's how, how much uh, time is there uh, before you go into the theater for the musical portion of the show? Like how's it, how's it split up time wise? It was about an hour in the bar and about 35 minutes in the theater. So the majority nice. of the time took place in the bar. It mm. took, I would say on an average, like, three to five minutes to get each group in because they have that interactive experience. So they're either in an elevator with the other female and the, the female in the photo, uh, Vivian, who is like the entrepreneur of the bar. She'd give you a, a different backstory than Dodge would on the stairs. Um, and then they'd come upstairs and wander. One of the interactive elements uh, that we encouraged them to do was we had specialty drinks. One of them was a day walker. Um, and you would go to the bar, you would order a daywalker, and then you would have to see one of the actors to get the finishing ingredient, which was a float of vampire blood on top. So we wanted to ensure that everybody had a chance to get that interaction and hear that backstory. So it took about an hour to get everybody in and get them some drinks and nice and liquored up before they went into the rock show. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And it was fun because we'd split up the groups too. So half the group would get Vivian's version of the, of the backstory and half the group would get Dodge's. So they'd get to the top of the stairs and regroup with their friends and both have very different uncomfortable situations and stories to tell each <laughs> other and kind of piece together what's happening based on talking to each other and, and pulling together what they've already learned before they even get to the bar. That's cool. That's a really clever way to do it. Who are these kooky characters? 
yeah that's uh he's the uh the vampire uh rock star that is has been slighted by the likes of Nikki six and axel rose by having his music stolen um uh, he's yeah. kind of just the petulant bratty rock and roll child if you've seen rock of ages he's a little bit stacy jacks but not quite as cool um <laughs> he is the crunk to queen Feta's isma like he is <laughs> Um, but he's he was a super fun character that did uh, a lot of hilarious interaction with the audience. And on the right are the two fledgling dancers, because um, who doesn't love some vampire girls dressed in leather clothing dancing on poles? It sure. seemed 80. It seemed like it fit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then next up, I think we have a few more good pictures of the same characters here, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little bit more of the bar. You can see in the wall behind him there is where we have missing posters mixed with like rock concert posters from all different eras. So like I said, Queen Theta, the the, the queen of the bar, she's been around for since the 20s. Uh, and you see actually a few of those posters back there were like movie posters for her films back in the era that mixed with like 80s rock concert posters mixed with missing posters. So it was kind of a fun, that was something Jamie put together for us. And it was all like little details that gave more backstory and expanded this world in subtle ways. And people would just be sitting there drinking, staring at this posters and finding little subtle kind of details all throughout the night. And it was a lot of fun watching him just kind of explore the details of the space that way. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about your production process. Like how, how, how long was like the genesis of this project? You know, like uh, I know you said that the, the venue informed sort of the, the, the style and subject of it, but like how much time did you have in the venue uh, to, you know, get it ready and set up and, and do your builds and, and decorate it and everything like that before you went live? We had four days. Oh, that's Hollywood, <laughs> baby. Yep. yep, we had four days in the venue. Yeah, we had, it was over the course of two weeks. So we kind of had one week of rehearsals, two days in there. We're able to learn a lot and figure out what was working, what wasn't, and then had a few days off to finesse things, make some changes to what we were doing, and then two door, two more days to finish it off. And then we had a little bit of time outside of the venue just with our cast and stuff like that working, but we had four days in the space to actually do all the, the work to get it in and rehearse everything and block it out and light it and get all the sound. It was, it was a chaotic four days of in the space to actually get everything to coalesce and come together. That's incredible. So do you do like, did you rehearse the band and everybody and all the dancers like offsite and then figure it out? I mean, did you like choreograph it offsite? Um, choreograph. Yes. Our choreographer worked on all the, like the choreography and the fight choreography on her own offsite and then ended up teaching the dancers in the space just because the space really dictated a lot of what they were able to do. Uh, the band we met on day one of rehearsal and they just were incredible. We didn't need to do anything to them. It's probably one of the best bands I've ever heard. Yep. Um, they just, they knew the music. I mean, they're, they're, a lot of them were the Rock of Ages band. So, okay. and a lot of this is, you know, similar to Rock of Ages music. So they picked it up immediately. They knew the space. They knew the sound system. They were great. Yeah. That's we, awesome. Luckily, the venue came with an amazing band. So we were yeah. able to just say, here's some music we want to play. And they're like, cool, we love these songs. We're like, great, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> also, you're vampires now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they and they were in for that. You saw in the last photo, actually, the band has like a small moment where they, they're in the immersive part where they're basically sidekicks to the lead singer of the band, who is a larger character. 
Um, but they are his entourage as he's entering the space and kind of intimidating guests. And they were all gung ho to be a part of that and kind of play a little bit in the small ways they could. They loved their teeth. They were yeah. so excited about their teeth. <laughs> can, can you talk a little bit about the casting process for, I mean, obviously the band came with the venue sort of, but like, what about your, your main character guy and the dancers and the other characters in the yeah. show? Um, we honestly did this one so, so fast that we didn't audition. We pulled from people we knew. Um, so with, uh, Andrew there and, uh, Zoe, Andrew is an immersive actor in LA. He does a bunch of just fix it productions. He did, um, the Darren Bozeman, uh, interactive thing that happened over Halloween last year. He is, was highly recommended. And so we took a shot. We'd never met him before. He turned out to be absolutely amazing. Uh, Zoe was in rock of ages. So the venue knew her. Um, and we were introduced to her and she was just simply fantastic and the absolute perfect pick for the role. So we lucked out there with uh, Kyle and Alfonso, who played Reagan. We knew them from previous projects um, and the same with the dancers. So we kind of just sat down and gathered, you know, the forces that were available and we knew would be great. And they came together and worked brilliantly. Julian, um, the venue suggested he is the one that's singing uh, Scary Monsters. He's actually in a David Bowie cover band. Oh, nice. um, he had he'd done virtually no acting, which I think made him the perfect audience plant because he didn't overact it. He just existed and then got up and blew everyone away with some real killer Bowie. So he that's was awesome. a real cool find for us. And Sophie Cooper was our only returning person from Corn Scream, who we had a phenomenal cast for, and she was just the one that managed to have the right role for her again in this. Um, and she was Vivian, who you saw in the photo earlier with Andrew. So, to, um, you know, there's a lot of improv here. I'm really fascinated by this kind of like belligerent, belligerent guy on the staircase. Uh, what was that process yeah. like of, of defying? <laughs> not, I think it's hilarious. So love to hear more about that. Um, he was so interesting. So our director, Beth uh, Wiseman, shout out to Beth. She was incredible. Um, she worked with Andrew the first day and she just gave him, we, we sent them all their backstories and kind of their different, like, these are your motivations. This is your character arc and let them kind of form the immersive and improvisational efforts in the bar on their own. But he had so many questions. He's like, can I wrap a belt around my arm? Can I, you know, and he went from this like very lucid actor and a flip of a switch, just an absolute crazy person. <laughs> I mean, he would lay down on the stairs and start punching the ground. He, We had a rogue fire alarm go off on one of the nights because we filled an elevator with uh, theatrical fog, which we should have known better, but we did it anyway. The fire alarm went off. He's bashing his head against the wall, screaming at the fire alarm. Like, he was <laughs> so belligerent. The staff of the bourbon room was terrified of him. <laughs> he was, was so great but the payoff was so good when people actually figured out like oh this dude is part of the show and he is in it i mean unfortunately his storyline culminates with him getting his throat slit sure. um, but uh he was he's just an incredible actor our makeup artist uh <laughs> told us on the last night she's like listen he gets in the character the second he gets his costume on so he'd be like tweaking out while she's trying to put like the vampire bites on him and he's twitching and like itching and swiping at her she was like i love him but it was really difficult to get his makeup on. <laughs> that's funny that's really great and well, what's well, funny hey, is I, know we, I love the oh, 
No, I was just going to say, of the cast, he was probably the most mild-mannered when he wasn't acting, which isn't that always the way. Like, he was super quiet and calm. <laughs> cool. Oh, and no, he was always acting. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I mean, just a, a small thing. He was at the beginning of it. He was asking, like, "Okay, what kind of drugs do I do?" And he was like researching what, like, different. I was like, "Honestly, you're doing whatever drugs the vampires want you to do because you're right. you you're a drug addict, so you like drugs. But you know, you get paid based on what they want. So if they want you to be doing heroin, you're doing heroin. If you're if they want you on coke, you're doing coke. So you, as a person, could be manically jumping between any of those wherever you feel necessary." you have that huge flexibility of you're not stuck in this one narrow niche of it. And he took it and ran the whole gamut of every type of, uh, of every moment of small, subtle pieces of this is what somebody on Coke would do now. This is what he would have heroin would do now. And he ran with it and just took it to every, every corner he could. Wow. That's, that's, that's awesome. Uh, okay. So we have some more, some, I think we only have a few more photos. We can kind of bump through a little bit, just some vamps. Uh, I, I'd say sexy vampires for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yep, these are our fledglings. So these were, were kind of a, a fun character, and their story changed a lot as we were kind of developing, because the idea was they were um, basically Vivian, the the second in command to, to Queen Theta, uh, turned them recently and um, brought them in. And kind of the, the fun element we had that wasn't ever really spelled out, but basically vampires in our world, for some reason, when they're turned, whatever whatever talent they have is then exemplified. So if you were a singer, you became a, a phenomenal singer. If you were a dancer, you became a phenomenal dancer. And they were obviously phenomenal dancers and they became fledglings, which we called our siren fledglings because they would draw people in and pull them towards them. And in any horror movie, you always follow the sexy girl. So literally the final act is uh, taking the song from, um, from Dust Till Dawn, uh, the, the snake dance song, and they're literally dancing from the bar into the theater area, drawing everybody in. And their characters were kind of a new addition to the world that night, the night you're there, where they're getting introduced to Queen Theta and they become her new pets that she then enjoys watching the audience play with. And she's using them as weapons to draw all the humans into the theater. That's wow. cool. That's cool. And then I think we have, uh, we have some close-up artwork of the, looks like some of Jamie's work on the next slide, I think. Unless I yeah. don't remember. Cool. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Walk us through every single you... piece of art. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we give her a lot of creative freedom, so she'll be able to explain it better than we could. But I think I see, I'm looking at it, it's kind of small here. We've got some of the rock posters. And then we said basically create a bunch of like vampire type bands from the 80s and 90s as well. Um, so she's got a few of theirs in there. And I think I can see the corner. You see Cleopatra kind of written in the bottom corner there. And that's one of the film posters that was actually uh, the film poster for uh, Theta Barra playing Cleopatra in like the 1929 film. Cool. So that's mixed underneath all the posters there. And you see it kind of multiple times uh, mixed in there along with some of our other film posters as well. That's great. So kind and of you see Andrew again on the stairs. <laughs> I can't get Andrew. <laughs> that's, such, that's great. I, I probably would have walked by him and be like, well, he doesn't smell like piss. He must be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the one of the press announcements they're like this this drug addict looking dude who smelled surprisingly good for a drug addict was on the yeah. stairs and like, that's the way you knew i i get it yep that makes sense yeah <laughs> so uh you know <clears throat> a couple a couple more questions from me at least you know uh how did you go about advertising the show you know in the la markets obviously you know and especially in a covid world you know how'd that go about and how you know would you say it was successful how did it all go 
I think that was probably if for our personal growth, that was our, our thing we needed the most growth on is we didn't give ourselves enough time because we kind of had a, we were told to do it and we could do it in September. And from there, we were so busy making sure the show worked that we didn't have as much lead up to marketing as we had, but we had a lot of publicity and a lot of word of mouth and uh, online marketing and trying to talk about how it was a vaccinated only event to make people feel comfortable going to it. Um, and then the first week we had a great response and it made our second week really successful, but it was a lot of work to get that first week having attendance purely for our sake of wanting to be able to get every show busy. And we only had four shows to do. We right. did it on Tuesday and Wednesday nights in the hopes that anybody that was working in the haunt industry in Los Angeles would be free on those two nights. Since that's a night, two nights that lots of things don't run. This is our dog rocket. He apparently right. would like to participate in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we hoped that that would help draw the crowd like that specific community. And it did just not until the second week. So mm -hmm. um, the, the COVID response we worked in the vaccinations into the storyline by saying that vampires are less likely to drink from you if you have vaccinated blood. Um, yeah. And since it was a vax only event, uh, we didn't see much hesitation because of the COVID uh, restrictions or anything, which was wonderful. Um, but definitely getting people out there and getting to pre-buy tickets in this post-COVID world and commit to something is a whole different thing than you know what it used to be. Yeah. And then how did you kind of set like a max guest rate and flow and capacity? How, how did that kind of work out for you? We The venue itself can hold up to 250 people. We kind of went through our brain and the different, how many actors we had in the space, how many different tracks they could do, how much square footage they could cover and determined a 150 top end crowd to make sure that everybody got an interactive experience. Anything larger than that, we knew that they're just watching a show. They're not getting that immersive interactive element that we that was so important to us. And that was that was an important kind of thing we were trying to figure out is we've done immersive. There's plenty of other people doing immersive events that are very, very small audiences. And there's lots of fun in that, but it's, it's hard to scale. And we kind of just saw some opportunities to scale it here in a way that were unique to both the story we were trying to tell and to the space gave us this ability to make sure we had these intimate immersive experiences while at the same time scaling up and letting you feel like you're freely roaming the space and not having it be you're stuck on tracks and you're getting dragged from point to point. But if you can wander through the bar and come across different stories and then our characters would know, oh, if they're in this area, here's the story I would then play into. And if they're over here, I'll talk about this thing. So there was the more you played, like in any immersive experience, the more you could figure out and have in, enjoyed. But there was a guarantee of having everybody get some level of immersion from the first entry and then uh, another beat mid-show. And then at the end of the show, we have literally the final number where we have our cast members running through the audience, asking for help at times, telling people like run away and like having different types of moments, even in a full theatrical setting where it's still having these quick, brief one-on-one -on -one interactions with the audience. So along those lines, then, what would you say you learned through this process, uh, scaling up the uh, interaction uh, with the actors that you would that you would take to your next show? How much that you didn't know before? <laughs> hmm? um, <laughs> crowd flow from like an operational perspective, like working in a venue and understanding crowd flow, I think, was probably one of the biggest things for us. Um, the understanding how long it takes to get a, a drink at the bar and then where people gravitate to after going to a bar and how to 
basically direct them without physically moving them uh, was a huge learning, especially in a venue where they're also serving food. And we have no control over that. So it's the it's the bourbon room staff that's serving the food and taking the orders. And then we keep moving these people around while they're trying to find them to serve their food. And so just from like an like a restaurant operational perspective, we learned so much about guest flow and just about the psychology that that guests have when they do an experience like this and what they gravitate towards and what they definitely shy away from that we will for sure take into everything we do from here on out. And I think we had a lot of learnings from the beginning to end of that too. Our first night, we uh, brought everybody in and just let them mingle and just like kind of let it happen naturally the way we were going to go. We knew kind of where we wanted to force people to, but we didn't really insist upon it our opening night just to see what would happen. And um, everybody hung out at the bar because you're at a bar, you all want to hang out at the bar. So that was the first thing is we realized, oh, we had this big dance number that is kind of midway through the show that we now have no room for because there's a hundred people standing exactly in the middle of where this dance number starts and then we're supposed to drag them away. So we kind of learned, oh, okay, we can control the audience flow in subtle, small ways. And by the final night, we had people in every corner of the place kind of yeah. sitting and in, in, in enjoying each individual thing and then getting up and moving around. So we learned a lot over the course of it of how to insist upon audience flow in different ways and then kept iterating upon it. And there's still some techniques that we were trying to figure out how to incorporate into doing that, that we're hopefully going to try to do in our next iteration of it and future shows that will give us the ability to track audience better. Cause that once you get to an audience of 150, you don't, you don't know who's interacting with who. And we have some kind of tricks that we were trying to use in this, that we kind of didn't get the opportunity to fully suss out. But now that we've figured out, okay, this is what did and didn't work here. We want to find ways to kind of track the audience in ways that they don't know. Cause it's easy to tell the audience member go over there and you know, okay, they're, if they're over there, they had that. But it was fun every time you were able to surprise them and have backstory on the audience that they didn't expect us to have because we were tracking them in subtle ways. And that's hard to do in such a large crowd. But when it worked, it created these amazing experiences. And we want to have more and more of those at every show we can do. So, so you mentioned – okay. go ahead, Patrick, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, it, it sounds like you're, you're all ready to go with the Thanksgiving version of this. Uh, no, what you know, where did <laughs> hold uh, – for you know Hollywood and Vamp sounds like a great format. I know you've done a previous project before. You know what's kind of the future look like? Do you want to talk about it or you want me to? Go ahead. Okay. Um, we're hoping to actually bring back Hollywood and Vamp for kind of a revival show in a few months. We're still working out details exactly what that'll look like, but um, the show obviously we put together really fast, and there were parts that kind of got cut out while we were developing it and working on it that we realize now. Okay. We want to bring those back in and these parts that we did have in the show, we're going to maybe not make as such focal points of the story. So we're hoping to bring kind of a, a new version of the show that's not a complete new show, but has enough new that existing audience members will have a totally new experience. And those that didn't see Call of Vamp don't miss anything because they still have a lot of the important story beats. And that'll hopefully be happening in the next few months. So that's so- kind of the first thing is trying to get that back and and adding more music to it too that was the biggest negative feedback we had was there wasn't enough songs like everybody was like you brought us in for a rock show and the rock show was over before we realized it so we're hoping to have more musical numbers in for the next version of it too so hollywood cool. advanced revamped <laughs> exactly <Yes. laughs> get that on a t-shirt <laughs> Go ahead, that's Andy. awesome I, I i hope to catch the next one that's uh that sounds really great i uh 
uh, you know, the stuff you were talking about before with the, like, you know, the, the, the guiding audience through the experience, especially in sort of like an open world kind of thing. That's, that's uh, to me, that's the most interesting part of immersive experiences is the psychology of the guest mm-hmm. experience and how to move people through the experience without being obvious and yeah. breaking the illusion and, and all that kind of stuff. I think that's such a delicate balance and, you know, it, it, it sort of makes or breaks the experience in some ways. So, Absolutely. yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. You talked about some certain tricks and, all that kind of stuff. I mean, if you can, can you go into detail, or is it is it like a industry secrets sure. or <laughs> trade secrets? I'll give you I'll give you a couple. Um, when we uh, sold a VIP ticket, or we called them RIP tickets, uh, we <laughs> gave them a pin that said "Carpe Nocturne," so seize the night instead of seize the day. We mm. forced them to put it on before they went into the venue, so that helped our actors identify. Okay, these people for sure. We should, you know, have extra interactions with or whatever. They they paid the upgraded price. Now, psychology-wise, what I learned is somebody will put a pin on and take it off immediately when they get upstairs. <laughs> um, so that was tricky. Uh, are the two on the stairs and in the elevator, Sophie and Andrew, have so much immersive experience. They were able to ask enough leading questions in their three-minute interactions with these people that would give them the knowledge to direct those people to the next thing. So they would assess them in the elevator ride up. She would even hold the elevator doors to finish her spiel or to just kind of like, okay, I get it. They're, they're feeling like they either just want to get a drink or they really want to play. So she'd take them out of the elevator and she'd seat them in a seat that then Reagan would know if they're seated at this white couch in this chair I approached them and started interaction with them. So it was, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of us texting uh, every now and again, texting them saying like, Hey, this person coming up the stairs is, you know, on fire or this person is already super drunk, grab them and sit them down on the couch and have your way with them or whatever. Um, <laughs> kind of like MTV reality TV show status. Right. Um, but you certainly learn a lot about how to read people and read their body language and, how far you can push that, especially with vampires, because they're, you know, they're sultry and they're sexy, but they're aloof. So they can really push the boundaries of somebody that doesn't want to be involved and see how far they can get that to see if they can break that person or if truly that person is just going to not engage. That's something I find fascinating about immersive is there there's this audience out there that loves immersive experiences, but in no way wants to participate. They want to be a voyeur. Mm They want to watch you participate, but they don't want to engage themselves. And being able to assess who those people were quickly and seat them in very specific reserved seating areas helped the the vampires to spend their time on the people that wanted to play, but also to make sure they were close enough in proximity so that, that those voyeurs still got their show. Yeah, that's great. And well that, well and done. That's, awesome. that's actually something we we both love because she's always the person who gets right in the middle of every storyline yeah. we go to. She's immediately like invested in the characters <laughs> of every immersive thing, whereas I'm always just happy to follow her around through them all. Um, so we kind of have those opposite perspectives on how that works, which is what made it great for us. And Beth as well is more like me, where she's like, this makes me uncomfortable. So she was able to direct all the cast like, I hate when they do this. So do this to everybody that comes in. Because you hate it, but you love it. Because that's why you come to these things. There's always that discomfort that comes with immersive. is part of the fun of it. You like being pushed outside of your comfort zones in a way that you know is safe. 
So you're like, oh, I can I can play here and there's no risks of me embarrassing myself because I'm in this fake world where nothing really is real. And you have this kind of safety net in a way that I think for people like me and Beth love and then people like Allison are like, great, I'm going to become friends with every character. I'm I all in. <laughs> um, and then that was part of what actually guest flow wise, she was talking about how we set people places, but we also, because we had Easter eggs everywhere, our cast was able to direct me to Easter eggs in ways that were like just saying, oh, you want to know more about the shows we've had here before? Well, go look at the wall there. Oh, if you're asking for help, use the payphone. I'm sure somebody will help you there. And like they find the Easter eggs through subtle nods like that, where you push in these different corners of, this, of the space. And they'd have their own storylines they'd be able to pursue without any of our cast being involved. And kind of then come back with questions that our cast could then carry into new narratives and be like, oh, you know about that? Great. I'm going to carry you right into this part of the story. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I have kind of a final question. I know we've gone way more than 10 questions. That's our bit, but we did more than 10 <laughs> questions. We actually have a thing that spins every single time there's a question asked. So we don't. Uh, we should get that, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get on that, CJ. First, it goes without saying, whenever you're going to do the, the Hollywood vamp, revamp, come back on the show and you know do do like a 10-minute segment with us. We'd love to kind of see how it's going and and – do it before the show, so maybe it can help drum up a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of love for, for the show because that sounds like a great experience. If I'm in LA, I'd love to see it. Final question to you, both of you. You know, going through and creating, mounting an immersive experience is pretty, pretty extraordinary to the average person. There's probably a lot of aspiring people out there who would want to do the same. Do you have any words of wisdom of anybody that's thinking about doing something cool, starting their own thing, and anything to get to get them kickstarted? Words of wisdom. Uh, take risks, push the envelope, um, and be at peace with the budget, <laughs> whatever that may be. And, and yeah, I think you kind of naturally find, I think the best parts of it is not forcing, because I know trying to write it, we were, I kind of got stuck in certain story beats and certain things I was like really holding of high value and like, like, no, this is really important. And then the second we got the cast involved, I was like, you're right, that's not important. But what, that <laughs> nuance, the nugget in it, actually you're carrying through in a different way and then redirecting it into that part of it was a really huge thing that let the cast really take the characters, make them have more depth than I was able to give them just writing it. They suddenly were able to give these characters a humanness that I, I couldn't write. And I think that's the important thing is finding people that you're willing to collaborate with and seeing where things are driving you. There was decisions made based on technical limitations that made the story better, but it came from a technical limitation of what we were able to do, not from us saying this is the right way to do it. And knowing how to just roll with the punches, because it's not, you, the show doesn't run the way you want it to every night. Every night was different for our run. And I think that's something that's important to the experience, because every guest you want to have a new experience each time they come, but also something that's really hard to do creatively is kind of have that balance of making sure you're sticking to a structure while at the same time letting that structure be very, very flexible. Yeah. Mm. Finding yourself a good group of people who will push each other respectfully um, and be real honest with each other. Cause if we all weren't honest about like, this is just not going to work or this beat of the story is being neglected, we would have had a much different show. So a good solid group of people. And we were very lucky to have that. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing your insights and wisdom about launching Hollywood and Vamp coming again soon to a revamp. <laughs> I can't wait to, to see this, the Hollywood and Vamp revamp. That sounds really cool. 
I'm, I'm sad that I missed it. It was only four nights, right? You did four nights? It was, yep. Yep. But it was kind of fun to, I mean, it was exactly what we needed. We learned a lot from it. We're hoping to be able to do it again and then have other shows that we learned, learned from it too. So this is kind of our, our first foray that was really successful for what it was. And we're really excited to keep doing more things like that. Awesome. Well, keep us posted. We'd love to have you back on anytime. All right. All right. Thanks Thank for you. Everybody.